0: Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm here with Len May. He is a certified medical cannabis specialist in medicinal genomics and has in-depth knowledge of genomics, cannabinoids, terpenes, and their interaction with the endocannabinoid system. He brings more than 25 years of cannabis and genomics experience to his DNA company, Endocanna Health. Thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me. That that, uh, intro... First of all, makes me sound pretty old. Second of all, (laughs) second of all, if I've been doing this over 25 years, maybe there was some gray area activity in the cannabis space, but
0: you know, it is. It it (laughs) happened, you know, you you learn. (laughs) So what sparked your interest to start studying cannabis?
1: Well, when I was a kid, uh, I was, I would be sitting in class and sort of my mind starts going into different directions and all these windows pop in my head. So at some point when I was around 14, maybe I was diagnosed with ADD and I was put on all kinds of prescription medication. And I was hanging out with some older kids in school and they said, uh, do I want to smoke a cigarette?
0: Like, mm. Yeah, man.
1: It's you know, a <laughs> cool thing to do back in the day. So uh, I find it weird. that They only have one cigarette, though. But they gave, had a cigarette. We got in a was like four of us or five of us, whatever it was. And they passed around the cigarette. When it got to me, I took a drag, inhaled, kind of coughed a little bit. And like it didn't really taste like the cigarette that I had before. Mm-hmm. So I needed to make sure and took another one. And they're laughing. Like, <laughs> what happened? So they actually put uh, you know, cannabis in the cigarette. Mm-hmm. But when I went back to class, like the windows that were all over sort of narrowed. And I could focus. So I'm like, oh, well, this is interesting. So I began to dabble in cannabis whenever I could get it. And I gave up all my meds and just focused on cannabis. So my parents would catch me every once in a while and I would get in trouble. And at some point when I was about 17 or so, uh, they ended up kicking me out of the house, actually calling the cops on me and having me get kicked out uh, for cannabis, which was at that time my medicine. But I I didn't really know it was medicine per se, Uh, but- the irony of this thing is my parents take formulations that we make now for their aches and pains and arthritis and all that stuff. So it came back full circle. <laughs> Really proud of what I do now. But, uh, you know, continue the story. I was uh, I became the president of the Cannabis Action Network, not to bore you with like the details of how I got there. It was a complete accident or maybe not. The universe sort of opens mm-hmm. up these things. And uh, I had a rally at Independence Hall. I'm, I'm from Philadelphia. I live in Los Angeles now. So I had a rally at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, where the Constitution is, the Declaration of Independence, written on hemp paper, by the way. Mm-hmm. And uh, my keynote speaker was this woman named Elvi Masika. And Elvie was one of the first people to get medically prescribed cannabis under the NIDA program, the federal program. So she had a jar of pre-rolled joints with a USDA label on it. They're you know, cultivated in, in Mississippi, rolled in somewhere in North Carolina. And she lit up her joint. It was like, wow, this is pretty cool. This is 1994. Mm-hmm. So it's many years ago. I was like, man, it's going to be legal. And you know, Pennsylvania hasn't, wasn't legal for many years after that. But When we were at my house, uh, you know, everybody's crashed at my house the next day, and we got woken up to a loud noise. Uh, I had a sculpture in my house. Elvie happened to walk in and break this uh, into the sculpture and break it. She felt really bad. But Elvie has degenerative glaucoma. She's legally blind. She can't see at all. She didn't see the sculpture. So my aha moment was she needed to medicate in order for her to see. She still wore her, you know, big, thick glasses, but she could see, relaxed her Muscles and in her eyes, and she could see. So for me, it was like, oh my God, this is another person that's using cannabis as medicine. So from that time on, I started looking at cannabis a little bit differently, and I kind of began my journey. And I did all kinds of different things. You know, I worked for different corporations. My Ex-wife said, you have to get a real job at some points. So I worked for Waterhouse. I did venture capital. I was a commercial real estate broker and all that helped me when I moved to uh, LA, it helped me get into the dispensary business. So I was an owner and operator and a partner of five different dispensaries under the same umbrella. But my passion has always been the therapeutic properties of the plant. So I couldn't understand why two people can come in with the same exact symptomatic condition consume the same cultivar and have a completely different experience. And so I became like, my ADD is I can be all over the place or I can obsess, like hyper-focus on Mm. something. So I came across a video by this guy named Kevin McKernan, who was one of the first people genetically sequenced cannabis. Long story short, started working with them, creating what's called Canapedia, which is a genetic uh, library of different cultivars. So I grabbed like five blue dreams from different growers, bring it to my lab. Extract the DNA, send it to a sequencer, and we can see like two of them are, you know, very close to being identical genetically. So they're Blue Dream. Two other ones are crosses of Blue Dream. So we can see they have Blue Dream in them, but they're not Blue Dream. And the fifth one's not even close to Blue Dream, but we're still calling it Blue Dream. And from there, their parent company was a pharmacogenomics company. They did uh, PGX testing, which is genetic testing for. Uh, drug interaction, and different disease predispositions. So cancer, autism, epilepsy, and uh, you know, once again, long story, but my second light bulb moment was we have plant genetics, we have human genetics, let's put those two together so we can create a more personalized experience for people. But the personalized experience isn't about finding your ultimate cannabis uh, cultivar or, or chemovar, it's about helping people avoid what I call sharp corners. So they avoid an adverse event that they're predisposed to. So then they can find a more optimal experience. They can look at their drug to drug interaction, supplement interaction. They can dose according to their metabolic function and then be able to find what works best for them. So anyway, that's how.
0: Wow. (laughs) That's actually so amazing because a lot of people have to go into their cannabis journey pretty blind, like having no idea what's going to work for them. It's it's this whole experimental process. So being able to like have this kind of shortcut and be able to see what's actually going on in your body and how, you know, what's what do you see like what certain cannabinoids like your body would interact well with or
1: yeah. So the the idea is you look at every single what's called a SNP, single nucleotide polymorphism that Mm -hmm. is directly or indirectly associated with the endocannabinoid system. Once you identify those genetic predispositions, you look at uh, reports of where you have a genetic predisposition that may be uh, triggered or expressed, turned on, like on and off switches by your lifestyle, what you do. And and consuming Mm. THC can be one of them. So to give you an example is let's say, You and I are smoking a joint. Now, this is BC because, uh, you know, before COVID, you could do that. Now we're supposed to be really careful. So we're smoking a joint and uh, our heart rate increases, which is absolutely normal because THC is a vessel dilator. So Mm -hmm. it'll help dilate your blood vessels, your heart will pump faster. So I'll use me as an example. Let's say that I have a predisposition to stress reactivity. So as my heart rate increases, I can trigger my genetic predisposition to stress reactivity, which can start making me feel more stressed or anxious. Now, I may also have a predisposition to PTSD. So if that happens, what can actually be triggered, again, through my stressful event, is an experience I may have had two years ago at a party that I felt the same way. So now it's playing the movie over and over, and I'm freaking myself out even more.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, I also have a predisposition to a slow rate of fear extinction. So when you when you have a traumatic event, your brain stores that in the subconscious because it likes to conserve energy. But under a great deal of stress, it can actually pull that event up and you can deal with that in a moment. So maybe a car hit me when I was riding my bike when I was nine years old. And all of a sudden, that memory came up. And now I'm having some sort of, you know, anxiety event i don't want to call Mm. it a panic attack but something similar to that so this happens imagine if this happened for the first time that a user grandma mary used uh cannabis for you know to help her with her after a chemo treatment and she has she'll never go back to cannabis again and she'll tell everybody else to stay away from the devil's lettuce So that's, that's number one. Number two is method of consumption. So there are certain medications that you can take, and they can be an inducer or an inhibitor. So you got to be really careful combining cannabinoids, and then dosing. So if I'm a poor metabolizer of THC, and I'm consuming an edible, so you, you have an isolated THC that goes When you consume it, it goes through your digestive system, goes into your liver. Your liver converts that to 11-oxyhydroxide. For some people, it can be 5 to 50 times more powerful than THC, combustible, or sublingual. Mm -hmm. And if you have a predisposition to uh, what's called psychonomatic events, which is like psychosis-like events, so number one, you took too much. It's a slower onset. It's a very powerful onset. People trip out on having too much THC. And then also it can trigger that you know psychotic episode for somebody. Mm-hmm. So we want to mitigate all those things to make sure that people have a more personalized experience with their cannabis
0: use. Definitely. That that would be that would save a lot of people's time. <laughs> and so, like a lot of my friends, for example, like I can take the same amount of edibles as them and I'll be fried and they okay. they'll be completely fine. And so what is the explanation for people like not being, you know, sensitive to edibles.
1: Yeah, I mean it's a great question. Um, so there's a series of genes that are called cytochrome P450. Every single cytochrome P450 family gene produces an enzyme that helps you metabolize something. So mm. there's one for lactose, there's one for gluten, and when you're a poor metabolizer of that, you're poor, your poor metabolites are lactose. So people say lactose intolerant or Mm -hmm. gluten intolerant, uh, no, without, you know, a a diagnosis, there are specific ones for THC and CBD and CBD and THC together. So there's one called CYP2C9, which produces an enzyme that metabolizes THC is, uh, CYP3A4, which actually metabolizes CBD and THC together. So if you are a poor metabolizer of THC or or ultra-slow metabolizer of THC and you consume an edible, so 11-oxyhydroxide, as we just mentioned now, can be a lot more powerful than than THC, than delta-9-THC, first of all. Second of all, if you're a poor metabolizer, you can have a slower onset. So the onset will be slower. It can be a lot more powerful and it can last a lot longer. So, we can all three of us can take one edible and have a completely different experience. Uh, you know, first of all, the high from an edible is different anyway because it goes to your liver, then it uh, binds to your CB1 receptor. But depends on how you metabolize, that can determine your overall experience. And if you have other predispositions to stress or mood, some people have anxiety, some people have depressive states, depending on what it is that you're consuming, it can actually trigger that expression individual. So that's why we're all different and it's why you wanna personalize your experience with cannabis, not only cannabis, everything you consume,
0: definitely. definitely cannabis. Yes, everyone's bodies are different. And so what's so special about the endocannabinoid system?
1: Many things, that's a great question. <laughs> uh, so the endocannabinoid system is a primary modulating system. And what it, its role is to maintain balance or what's called homeostasis within the body. But the way that it works is really interesting. It actually gets signals from all the other systems and think of it as like sort of salmon swim upstream. It goes up the central system and then the brain amygdala in certain parts of the brain make a decision which neurochemicals to release in in order to uh, keep the other systems in balance, so the two neurochemicals endogenous endocannabinoids so that the endocannabinoid system produces are anandamide and 2AG. So the word "anand" means bliss in Sanskrit. Uh, script. So this is um, when you consume the decarboxylate version of THC, which is delta nine, it binds your CB1 receptor and releases anandamide. Uh, CBD has an affinity for the CB2 receptor. Those receptors are located throughout your immune digestive system in different parts of the body, and the CB1 receptors are located throughout your central nervous system, your brain, et cetera. So those control mood, uh, those control uh, things like uh, appetite uh, and, uh, and pain, the feeling of pain, et cetera. And then uh, the other ones are more focused on the other systems like the immune inflammatory responses, et cetera, and they work in concert together. So if you, have a, uh, if you have a deficiency in your own natural endocannabinoid system, you can actually subsidize that deficiency by taking phytocannabinoids. And I think the one thing that people don't understand, many things they don't understand, but the one thing they don't understand, and we learn all the time is how drugs really work in your body. So people really think about, oh, you know, it's drugs. And it's... so I try to give an example of people like this. Cocaine, right, uh, or, or MDA. So we know cocaine is a drug, but what the what does cocaine do? And why are people becoming dependent on that? So one of the things it does is when you consume cocaine, it actually binds to receptors dopamine release. So it releases dopamine at a hundred times the amount that we normally would release and it blocks the reuptake of the dopamine. So you have this huge dopamine spike and then there's a big drop because your brain realizes, hey, I have a foreign substance producing this. I'm gonna chill for a while and I'm mm-hmm. not gonna produce my own.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so this is what people want. They get dependent on the dopamine that's being secreted. It's not about the cocaine. Same thing with MDMA. So there's a, you know phase three clinical trial going on for MDMA. How does it work? It binds to serotonin and a little bit of oxytocin. So it releases the chemical that makes us feel good. And also uh, that love molecule, that oxytocin, when we're actually in love with somebody, we get that oxytocin. So you want to feel that as well. So it's not about the vehicle that we consume, is creates neurochemical release within our bodies. Mm-hmm. That's how cannabis works. Cannabis binds to receptors that we have in our bodies and releases our own endogenous Chemicals, which are endogenous endocannabinoids, which is uh, you know 2AG and anandamide. So that's basically how it works. And the job is to maintain homeostasis or balance. Mm.
0: Yeah, I always notice like when I feel anytime I feel like a tiny bit off, like my stomach hurts or like I feel groggy and gross. If I take some cannabis, I'll feel like normal again, and I'm like, what? (laughs) Like I'll be like completely fine. So. Where did you get your master's of medical cannabis and what was that process like?
1: Uh, So at the Institute for the Advancement of Integrative Medicine, Dr. Alan Lawrence, MD and PhD, is the director. So I was responsible for some of the curriculum. I helped uh, to create some of the curriculum. So for me, the process wasn't that difficult. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of the stuff we just talked about. It's uh, understanding the endocannabinoid system, understanding how it integrates with the entire body, understanding uh, terpenes, what they do, looking at a lot of studies, and also, uh, you know, reviewing the interaction between your body, the different medications that you can consume. So a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now.
0: That's that's very cool. And so like, is it two years, like other masters might be or like?
1: Uh, It's an online program. Ah, okay. So you take it. So the it's a self study with the testing between uh, different modules and chapters. So that's basically how it works.
0: All right, that's cool. And how do you get into that? <laughs> the uh, program.
1: I mean, there's there's a lot. There's different programs online uh, that are available now. The interesting part about it, when I first did this, they didn't really have university programs. Very few, but now there's a ton of university programs that are available that you can take a uh, and bachelor's and masters and in, in different types of uh, studies associated with cannabis I'm actually a guest lecturer in a couple of universities coming up this year oh. so for for their uh, for their classes as well
0: that's awesome so tell us why you decided to study DNA were you interested in genomics before cannabis or did you decide to study it while figuring out cannabis
1: yeah I mean my whole thing was, I'm trying to figure out why this experience of people taking the same thing and having a different uh, experience is. So, I started on the plant genomic side. So, understanding that the plants have different uh, genomics and that we're calling these things different names that really don't pertain to anything that Mm -hmm. are meaningless because what you're looking at is a cannabinoid and terpene profile. The idea is to be able to see what your genetics do within your body. And understanding how genes work. So the one thing that I really try to figure out is, you know, your genetics, uh, I always thought was you're born with your genes and that's it. You're stuck with whatever it is. But in my studying genetics, even and genomics to a greater extent, I kind of started looking at it is, sort of an on-off, big on-off switch, like light switches, right? So when we're born, we get our genetics from our our parents, 50% from our mother, 50% from our our father. And some of them are already, think of them as in the on position. So like uh, our skin color, our Mm -hmm. eye color, our hair color, all these different things. The other ones, we have genetic predispositions that are encoded for something, and our lifestyle can turn those switches on or off. So- Understanding that, understanding that there are certain things that I have full control over, to be able to turn on or off, that was really uh, powerful and empowering. Mm-hmm. Because other than that, you're going through life blind. So you're yeah. getting, you're empowered with information, and now you can make choices what to do and what not to do to turn th- certain things on or off.
0: Yeah, I mean, so cool. Like. Uh-huh. Being able to have that knowledge about your body is pretty sick.
1: Because because here's the thing. Not only do you want to know what you're predisposed to, but you want to know what's expressed. So Mm -hmm. to be able to measure the expression is really key. And how do you measure that? Well, there's epigenetic tests. Uh, it's something that we're getting into because we're doing whole genome sequencing now too. But also, there's biometric feedback. So, like a wearable, the one that I have now, uh, like the Endolink, that can actually measure different biomarker changes. So you know, if you're consuming a certain protocol, you can see that you know your biometric changes have been on a positive side or negative side. Like, let's say for sleep. So if we're if we're measuring sleep, we're not just measuring you know did you sleep for eight hours. It's quality of sleep heart mm-hmm. variability, blood oxygen level, all these different things. And you can see this protocol is more efficacious than this protocol. So now we also have machine learning that learns patterns. So people with your genotype have taken this type of protocol and have shown this to be much more effective than, than this. So now you have a real review of products or people like you that have taken this protocol. That's where they reported efficacy for as well.
0: Awesome. So th- what does your company do and how does it work?
1: So my company is called Endocana Health, where EndoDNA is the name of uh, the test. Mm-hmm. How it works is we are a health technology company focusing on precision medicine, precision therapeutics using DNA. So the first thing you do is you get an EndoDNA test, either from a website, doctors or, you know, different retailers and we're HIPAA and GDPR compliant. So you get the kit, you swab inside your cheek, you're registered because if you do not register before you send, we will not know that DNA belongs to you because it's fully anonymized and encrypted. You can also take your 23me, your ancestry.com or any other DNA test, and you can upload it to our site. We'll translate that and provide a report in 30 seconds or less. So if you mail this to our lab, it'll take a couple of weeks. When you register in your portal, it'll show you the sample has arrived in the lab. The DNA has been genotyped or sequenced, and now your report is ready. So you log into your portal, which is called MyDNA.Live, and you have your report. The report will show you all the different symptomatic conditions, what you're predisposed to. It'll give you suggestions on ratios, cannabinoids, and terpenes. In addition to that, it'll show you drug interaction and it'll show you metabolic function for dosing. Within that, it'll also take you to a marketplace, which what we do is we use certificates of analysis of so test results from different brands. And it'll show you the, how closely that product matches the suggested ratio. So it'll give you the percentage of match. It'll geofence where you can find that product. And now we're doing the feedback on that as well. So it's a fully bookended experience from your genetics to a product to you reporting back the efficacy of that product and learning how that will work for, for individuals.
0: That's, that's honestly like mind blowing that this is a thing. but <laughs> I don't know if this is a weird question, but like, can you understand if there's something wrong? Like, for example, a person has breast cancer or something. Can you like somehow see that and like give them recommendations?
1: Yeah, so great way? question. Great question. So we are direct to consumer. Mm-hmm. Meaning that we're not FDA approved as a diagnostic tool. We are in in, in Mexico, but we're not in the US. The FDA is oh. not approved it as a diagnostic tool. So if you're ordering this test or a general consumer, we cannot talk about diseases. So mm-hmm. for give you an example, we can't talk about Parkinson's, but we can talk about tremors that are associated with Parkinson's. But if a doctor orders the test, they can do they can use it as a diagnostic tool if they choose. So mm-hmm cancer, breast cancer or whatever, it's been used for the last 50 years. There's a BRCA gene associated with breast cancer, mm-hmm. and it's been used for many years. So, so yes, a doctor can use a DNA test to show somebody that they have a predisposition to cancer, or even a certain type of cancer uh, that that can be used for. But it, it's got to be ordered through a through a physician, through a healthcare professional in order for it to be used other than a symptomatic condition. That's why when I talk about, I never talked about disease per se, I talk about symptomatic condition. So we talk about stress and anxiety instead of a diagn- diagnosis of uh, you know, depression, for instance. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can talk about depressive states or mood, but we can't talk about a specific disease. Does that, right. does that make sense?
0: Yes. And going off on that, So if you see that, that this person has this condition, do like, are there certain recommendations that pop up for that condition? Like, is there data that you guys have? Like all these people with this?
1: Yeah, so absolutely. Every single report has a peer review reference of PubMed quality or equivalent to. If -hmm. it does not have a reference, we do not include that. Also, it's a intelligent machine learning algorithm that's built every single time there's a new study The the, um, machine learning, the AI grabs the study uh, with our criteria, and we have a science board that we review those to make sure that they're sufficient to be included in uh, the profile. So we have like a four-person science board that makes that determination. So if it's a study of 10 people of Asian descent between the ages of 30 and 35, they're male, that'll probably be thrown out. It's too Mm. narrow of a study. So it has to be a little bit of a wider study, but it depends. We still struggle with having enough research. And I hate using this as an excuse, but it really is true. We don't have enough research on cannabis for many reasons, which I'm sure your audience and you spoke about before, but there's an intent... There's an intention why we don't have enough research because we've been prohibited from doing the research that we want to do on this plant. But there's research coming out internationally from Israel, from Canada, from other places, Denmark, uh, in the world. So we're grabbing all those things. So yeah, there are references to everything. And the other thing that we're short on references are minor cannabinoids. Hmm. And people are like, hey, why don't you add CBN as a minor cannabinoid and show us a report? Well, because we made a decision early on, you have to have a peer reviewed study associated with that. Mm. When there's a PubMed study on CBN, even if it's an observational study, but it's been peer reviewed, we'll add that in. And until that time, we're collecting all that information, we have mitocannabinoids, but we can't reference them because there's nothing to point to.
0: Mm. So do you guys recommend certain products? Or you just like list out like, um, what this person might be taking? or? So because- yeah.
1: So the way that it works is uh, we, we suggest products based on percentage of match. So if you have, I'll give you an example. So let's say that your profile suggests something that is a little bit more of a balanced one-to-one CBD to THC ratio with linalool and beta-caryophyllins, so a and secondary terpene profile. Mm. So now what we would do is we would use the certificate of analysis from different companies and brands that will allow us to use their C of A's. We run that through an algorithm and we show you the percentage of match based on your suggestions. So uh, one-to-one, linoleum and beta cryophilin. All right. That may be a hundred percent or 90% match. And then we'll geofence where you can get that product. Maybe it has just linoleum and not beta cryophilin. So maybe that'll be in you know, a 75% match or something of that nature. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it always, it, we suggest products, but products are based on your genetic profile and how close they match based on the, the test results.
0: Yes. That's I love that. <laughs> that's so cool. So are there certain like cannabinoids or terpenes that can help with pain, for example?
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, there's definitely studies associated with pain and the, uh, uh, pain is an interesting one because there is the feeling of pain, which we feel, but there's also the underlying uh, issue that's causing the pain. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people come to us with pain and they also have issues sleeping. Well, it makes sense if they're not sleeping, they feel pain, but there's also uh, an association with that and stress and anxiety. We just completed some clinical trials, we just completed a study on anxiety and pain. The correlation okay. between that at cu boulder so there's a gene called fa fatty acid amide hydrolase that gene produces an enzyme that breaks down anandamide so people that have a certain genotype is called homozygous and just to explain the terminology it's probably easier if i could use this analogy computers have a binary code ones and zeros right? Underneath. And then we have this user interface on top. It's a basic way of understanding computers. Obviously they have matured since that time, but like people use those ones and zero example. DNA communicates in four letters, a C, a T, an A, and a G. They're called nucleotides. The combination of those letters are your genotype. So 99.9% of us are identical. It's a 0.1% that makes all the difference in the world. And it's called a variant. So the variant is your v- variance away from baseline. So mm-hmm. if most of the population is this genotype and you have a predisposition to X, you are more likely or less likely and you are have a, a variance away from, from norm or baseline. I don't like to use the word norm because mm-hmm. you normal know, is <laughs> uh, uh, objective. Uh, to answer, so basically this, this genotype on that I was talking about, if a person has like a CC, which is homozygous, they actually, they break down more anandamite than the average population. Now I'll give you, I'll give you an example where this works in real, in real life. Let's say you, you have a stressful event. You're walking down the street and a car comes out, almost hits you. So all this stuff happens to us right away. We have neurochemicals that are pumped in our bloodstream. We have some adrenaline. We have some dopamine. We have some norepinephrine. We have cortisol. Now your brain realizes there's no lion chasing the jungle. And it starts to do two things. starts to reuptake those other neurochemicals that are pumped. And it starts creating new neurochemicals. One of them happens to be anandamide to get us back to homeostasis. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have this homozygous allele, you may break down more inanimate. so You're actually creating less anandamides than the average population. So over time, that cortisol level, it can stay in your bloodstream longer. And when it stays in your bloodstream for a long time, it can over time reduce your pH level, make you more acidic. Your mm-hmm. immune system responds to that by an overactive immune response. Cytokine was what we learned during you know, COVID and all that stuff. So what we feel is inflammation. And we feel that inflammation starting a lot in our joints, our ankles or knees or our neck or back and all that stuff. So we can actually subsidize with phytocannabis So THC, delta-9 will bind to your CB1 receptor and actually release more anandamide. We have to be really careful on the things I talked about before the that, uh, you know, the, the stress reactivity. So somebody that takes too much can actually uh, create more stress for them and have this. But To answer your question in a long-winded way, yes, there are cannabinoids. So number one, THC or Delta-9 can work as an analgesic. So it's a pain reliever. CBD itself uh, can work as an anti-inflammatory. So if you have the right combination of the major cannabinoids, you can actually address the feeling of the pain while you're addressing the inflammation that's causing that pain to begin with. And also the terpene profiles, which are the essential oils, they work in concert with cannabinoids to support that. So if you have the right terpene profile, like beta caryophyllene has an affinity for the CB2 receptor. It has some GABA affinity. So it actually works in conjunction with CBD to help reduce that inflammation as well. And then little helps lessen the anxiety that may be provoked by THC. That's why I use that example. So when you have the right formulation, yes, you can address the pain, The feeling of the pain and what's causing the pain, and also it's it's a whole thing. So if you're not if you're in pain and you're not getting enough sleep, now the quality of sleep determines that healing process as well. So Mm. if you're not getting enough sleep, then you can exacerbate your your feeling of pain during the day. So you need to maybe look at it, making sure that you have a good quality sleep to reset those things. so, maybe there's a different formulation to help you sleep better. And it's not about taking a whole bunch of THC and doing dab hits so you can pass out because you can sleep for 10 hours, but your brain will still be active with THC. So, you're not getting that alpha and the theta, the resting sleep. So, mm-hmm. your body, your body's interesting. It needs all these things to work in concert together to make sure there's a healing path. And mm-hmm. cannabis is not a panacea, but it's one of the things that can actually support that healing process.
0: Yeah. I, I love how, you know can not only can cannabis like potentially suppress the pain, but it can also work on it too, like the anti-inflammatory wow. aspects of it and everything, which is, you know, could be much better than just medications that just numb it, you know, (laughs) it's actually working on something.
1: Well, and it also can be preventative. It can be used as a preventative. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Western medicine has been designed in a way that, you know, my elbow hurts. Let me give you a pill. Let me give you a shot for that. Eastern medicine says your elbow hurts. Let me, you know, rub uh, a point on your foot because it's it's associated with that. And Mm -hmm. it comes from your liver. Combining those two together, would be of more interest to me. Like I would want to know what is the root cause of that pain? Mm -hmm. What can I take naturally that has the least amount of side effects? Because if you're taking a pill, you can have a side effect on that. And if you have a side effect, there's another pill for that. So it's this whole, this whole notion of how can we sell you more and more and more and more products because there's a business associated with it, obviously. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying that cannabis doesn't have a business aspect of it. Absolutely does. But there has to be a way to utilize what's going on with your own neurochemistry to be able to create supplementation to prevent some of these things from actually showing up and expressing. And if you know this about yourself, you can take certain measures to be able to create a preventative program and address things as they come up.
0: Definitely. So are there other tests that your company offers?
1: Yeah. So we're now just validated whole genome sequencing. So right now we sequence or genotype 675,000 uh, SNPs, single nucleotide polymorphisms. However, with our whole genome sequencing, we're moving to 64 million. So we will be wow. able to do everything. So I'll give you an example, skin. We'll look at skin and associate with that with conditions so what, if you have predisposition to rosacea or anything like that, there are certain you know, things that work for somebody else's skin. Vitamin deficiencies, which vitamins are you may, you may be predisposed to be deficient in. Nutrient deficiencies, pharmacogenomics, drug-to-drug interactions I mentioned before, but also we filed a patent on our neuroDNA test. So it's a mental health test. And we're starting with treatment-resistant depression, first, because there's over 30% of the population that get antidepressants that genetically will be resistant to those antidepressants, but will still get all the side effects for antidepressants. So we're looking at that. We're looking at binding affinity to different uh, pathways like GABA, serotonin, uh, dopamine pathways to see where somebody may actually be better suited for which type of medication. And also we're gonna be looking at psychotropics and psychedelics. So looking at things like ketamine, psilocybin, LSD, Ibogaine, MDMA. So when things become legal, uh, we can turn on the spigot there and show people which, not only which psychedelic is more aligned with them, if you have a predisposition to an adverse event from a psychedelic, maybe we can mitigate that upfront by administering a beta blocker, or sometimes as simple as giving this person a little more attention holding their hand through the process because they have that predisposition to, you know, stressing out.
0: Wow. That would be so, so cool, especially with psychedelics, because that's like a bigger leap than just cannabis, you know?
1: It is and it isn't. I'll tell you why. Because psychedelics are having a major push right now because it's single molecule. The pharmaceutical industry and the FDA Mm -hmm. understand single molecules. The reason why epidelics became approved by the FDA, they can hone in on a single molecule. Mm. cannabis plant has over 400 different ingredients as far as we know so how are they going to figure out which one of those is working which combination but in psychedelics you're you're taking you know psilocybin mushrooms it's psilocin it's one component how much of psilocin sure. will determine that same thing with a uh, you know lsd and uh, so this is it falls out much more in line with the pharma model than it does with uh, then cannabis cannabis is tricky because it has so many different components right maybe there's going to be a dual path where they'll have certain formulations specifically pharma-based formulations like one-to-one that's it and then they'll have maybe more of a nutraceutical kind of line but the idea is to have consistency and until the federal government deschedules it we can't have consistency like i want to go to get my product in LA, the same way I would get a vitamin, my vitamin shopper GNC. I, I can go in a shop in LA and I can go to a shop in Boston and it'll be the same product with all the same labels. But now it's not, there's no consistency, there's no consistency in testing, there's no consistency in products. And for us to elevate ourselves to the next level, we need to deschedule and we need to make sure that everybody is following the exact same guidelines on products.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Wow, uh, this is a very exciting. So, how much would it like cost for a DNA report?
1: Yeah, so the endo DNA test retails at one hundred ninety nine dollars, and the raw data uploads, which are the uploads of uh, 23 and ancestry or whatever, at retails at forty
0: nine ninety five. Mm, nice. So a lot of people can get this done <laughs> and figure it out. Yep. Yeah, because I I think it's definitely worth. I definitely want to try this. Like. Feel like it's very worth it to figure out what your body is compatible with and save yourself some time and like actually hopefully get down to your problems sooner
1: <laughs> well what i'll do is i'll send you a code for a kit i'll go over your results with you personally and i will also i'll send a code for you to share with your audience so you can share and give everybody a discount
0: so, awesome i, know, I know everyone would love that <laughs> including me So where can people find you on social media, websites, all that?
1: So there's two. First of all, the company, Endocana Health. We're EndoDNA on Instagram and everywhere else. And I'm Len May. And on Instagram, I think I'm Len May DNA, but it's L-E-N-M-A-Y. I'm accessible on LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, Instagram, Facebook, uh, YouTube, you name it. So yeah, come find us.
0: Sick. <laughs> thank you for sharing all of this. And I will, when you send me all that, I'll link in this description. So no one will miss out on it. Cool. Thank you for coming on.
1: Yeah, thank you. Leah. I appreciate it. Thank great questions, by the way. And oh, I hope uh, thank you. Uh, I hope we can redo this again, when you get your results. If you would like to share them with the audience, I'd yes. be happy to come on and do it again.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Thanks for listening to today's show.